Well, hey, we are back in our series called This Is Us, and we've been talking about a theology of the body of Christ. What is the church? How does this all work? What's going on? We've covered a whole bunch of different things, and we're again, we're up to part six here. And today I want to talk about the local church and the kingdom of God. So we've got two things that we kind of use the word church for. I've heard people talk about the capital C church. And when they say that, they're usually talking about the kingdom of God. And then, of course, there's the local church, like Good Hope Church and so many other local churches. And how does the local church and the kingdom of God interact? And how can that help us understand what the church is? So again, what is the church? People view the church in a lot of different ways. I wrote down a whole bunch of different things that that people uh, think of when they think of church. And these aren't all perfect ways of seeing the church, but it's ways that a lot of people see it. And the way that we view the church is going to affect our expectations of the church and what we feel our responsibilities towards the church are. So let's look at some things, ways to look at the church. So Is the church a family? You know, the local church or the the greater body of Christ, is that church, is the church a family? Is it a hospital where hurting people can come in and get help? Is the church like a, a welfare distribution center where people who have physical material needs can come in and get some help? Is church an event that happens or a series of events that happen? Is that what church is? Is church a missions organization meant to mobilize people to bring the gospel to unreached people around the world? Is the church an army? You know, I remember as a new believer finding out that the the name, the Salvation Army, <laughs> was already taken. And I'm like, oh, what a great name that would be for a church or a denomination, the Salvation Army. Like, oh, it's good stuff. It's a fantastic name, by the way. But is the church an army? Is there a battle that we're fighting and we're trying to win? Is the church like a fire insurance agency? You know, we're just trying to get people into heaven by the skin of their teeth, you know, just there for fire insurance. Is the church a school or a training ground? Is the church kind of like a restaurant? People come in to get fed. They want to have a good meal. Is the church really uh, just about having a relationship with God? You know, something to facilitate your personal relationship with God. Is that what the church is for? Is the church a counseling center? Is the church a safe place for acceptance? Is the church a social club? Is the church a place where you get entertainment, kind of like a theater, something like that. Is it a place of entertainment? Is the church a search and rescue organization? You know, going and finding people with needs and helping them. Is the church a religious institution, et cetera, et cetera. There's all these different ways to think about what the church is. It can get complicated and it can get difficult. You know, some of these descriptions are true enough, but none of them are complete or exclusively true. The church is all kinds of different things. And, you know, there are some common misconceptions about the role of the local church. I just want to mention three of them real quick. 
You know, some people view the church, they might not be willing to say this out loud, but they view the church as a business that people buy goods and services from, like a restaurant or a theater. You know, the people who say, yeah, I don't go to that church anymore because I wasn't getting fed. They obviously were looking to receive something. Now, there's a piece of truth in that. If the teaching is just vacuous, then that's probably not a place that you would want to support But at the same time, if you start thinking, man, I'm not getting fed, I need to go to a different church, it's more likely that you feel like you're not getting fed because now it's time for you to start serving. It's time for you to start doing things and not getting your primary spiritual meal from the church service, but from your personal devotional time and you go to church to serve. So We don't want to view the church as something that is a business that we put some money in and we expect some goods or services in return. That's not what the church is. Some people think the church should be a welfare organization that takes care of everyone. I've heard this a number of times. If the church would do its job, we wouldn't need a government to do welfare and and to take care of people. Where did you get that? Um, I look in the Bible and I see the church taking care of its own, but I don't see the church taking care of people on the outside. So I do think that the church needs to do what it can to take care of its own, but it certainly can't take care of all the needs around the world. Do you think the New Testament church took care of all the needs in the Roman world? You know, They simply did not do that. And also, if you think the church should take care of the needs of people and you're not a tither, then you need to just stop talking about that because it's incredible how many needs are out there and the amount of resources necessary would be staggering. Then uh, another misconception is, is that the church is just there to help me worship God. It's just there as a way that I can worship God by going to church. And people will say things like, I can worship God by myself in the woods, so I don't need to go to church. Well, of course you can worship God by yourself in the woods. I love to go worship God by myself in the woods. It's fantastic. But that's not the sole function of the church is to help people worship God. There's a lot more to it than that. And you'll miss out on those other things. You know, I see the church a lot like a hospital and a search and rescue organization and an army, these sorts of things. Of course, we worship God, but we're here to advance the kingdom of God and bring the good things of God to this world. And you can't do that by yourself alone in the woods. You can't bear fruit for the kingdom of God alone in the woods. And so we have to see a bigger picture than just these little pieces of the local church. What's the main issue here? The main issue, I think, is that sometimes people can lose sight of the kingdom of God, the greater kingdom of God, by just trying to do church or only seeing the church as the local church, but missing the greater kingdom of God. I was looking in the scriptures and typing things out in my my computer concordance, and I found something very, I thought was interesting. I hope you find it interesting. The word church in the NIV and in the King James in the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that's the gospels, the four gospels, the first four books of the New Testament that are basically the life and teachings of Christ. Those four gospels, the word church comes up three times in the NIV and three times in the King James. So the word church isn't in there very often. 
However, the word kingdom comes up 123 times in the NIV and 129 times in the King James. Most of the time, this is Jesus teaching about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. Sometimes the word is used in different ways, that sort of thing. So it's not all these, but we're looking at 100 plus times where the word kingdom referring to the kingdom of God is talked about in the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John versus three times the word church is used in those same books. You look at the rest of the New Testament, the word church from Acts to Revelation in the NIV and in the King James comes up 111 times versus three in the gospels, the rest of the New Testament, 111 times in both the NIV and the King James. And the word kingdom drops from in the hundreds to 37 in the NIV and 34 in the King James. So we see a shift. It's an interesting shift in focus from the greater kingdom of God, the teachings of Christ about the kingdom of God in the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, to a deeper focus on the church. And I, I believe most of the times the word church is used there. It's, it's more talking about the local church, the local body of believers, but the kingdom of God on earth and the local church, sometimes those things can get mixed together. You know, one word can refer to both of those. So we see this shift in focus from the kingdom of God in its grand thought, then into the application of the things of the kingdom of God in the local group setting, which is the church. And I think that for some people, this shift has continued much further than it was intended to go to where we practically forget about the kingdom of God and focus almost exclusively on the local church and see the local church and think about the local church and the group, the body of believers versus the kingdom of God, the everlasting, eternal perfect kingdom of God that Jesus taught us to pray would come to earth like it is in heaven. You know, this kingdom of God is a powerful, amazing thing. And the local church is good. You know, it's an important thing, but we need to also be able to focus on the kingdom of God and not exclusively on the local church. So here's the goal for today. The goal for today is to see beyond just the local church or denomination into the kingdom of God and to see the church as a tool that God uses for advancing his kingdom, for kingdom purposes. The local church is a tool that God uses for his kingdom purposes. And if we can see this, I think some of the misconceptions, some of the misunderstandings will become a little bit more clear. One thing that we've talked about a bunch of times is, you know, that there's one body and many parts. So Romans 12 verses four and five. We've read this in this series a bunch of times. It's a big deal to me. No division in the body. There's one body with many parts. So again, Romans 12, four and five. For just as each of us has one body with many members and these members do not all have the same function. So in Christ, we though many form one body and each member belongs to all the others. So there's one body with many parts. Now, if I were to say there's one kingdom, 
with many parts. I think that'd be very clear. One kingdom with many parts. Of course, there's one kingdom because there's only one king. You know, there's King Jesus. There's one king. And whatever he has dominion over, that's his kingdom. So, of course, there's one kingdom and all these different things happening inside of it. But if we see all these different churches, denominations, if we see them as separate things that are competing with or fighting with each other, then we're going to see a bunch of separate things. But if we think of the kingdom of God that King Jesus has dominion over all of these things, it's Jesus' kingdom then we would see, of course, there's one kingdom because there's only one king. Some of these things would be more clear. Now, the local church is a a microcosm of the one kingdom. You know, you can have a, a unified local body, a microcosm of the kingdom of God, but it's also part of the greater kingdom of God. So, One body, many parts. When we see that through the idea of the kingdom of God, it can be more clear. And the Christian, the just normal Christian, is not just a member of a church, but is also a citizen of heaven, part of the kingdom of God. If you see how you fit into the eternal kingdom of God, then you'll understand how you fit into the local church more accurately as well. Some people, they're just unmotivated to be part of church. They don't think it's a big deal, you know, and they just... Just doesn't seem like something that important, that significant. And if you only see the local church and you don't see the kingdom of God, then I feel you. But let's look into Philippians chapter four. The apostle Paul is talking about his walk with God and how this is something that, that we should share, that all mature believers should share with him. And I tell you what, this isn't talking about showing up for church a couple times a month and just letting it be good. This is really about a deep relationship with God. So let's read, we'll do 10 through 21. So here's what this says. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead, not that I've already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Now, again, this is an amazing, like epic description of following the things of God and attaining to the resurrection of the dead. And it's just, it's amazing the things that the apostle Paul is talking about here. He's not talking about just droning through another church service and putting up with it. And, you know, this is powerful, powerful stuff. 
And I think we have to see the kingdom of God in order to grab hold of it. This is about being a citizen of heaven and straining forward to win the prize. Why? Because the kingdom of God is worth it. We see the value in it. We understand the goodness of God and that we get to participate in the kingdom of God. And we're going to go forward. You know, that's, it's not just about showing up for church twice a month and calling her good. So today I call you to be a citizen of heaven and to take your place in the kingdom of God, to grab hold of the kingdom of God and take your place as a citizen. So what are the responsibilities of the subjects of God's kingdom? What are the subjects of God's kingdom supposed to do? You know, it's one thing to be a member of a church. It's another thing to be a citizen of heaven, to be a subject of the kingdom of God. What does the person who is a subject of the kingdom of God have as a responsibility? Well, the first and most important responsibility of the subjects of the kingdom of God is to have faith in the king. You know, the kingdom of God, the subjects of that kingdom must have faith in God, must have faith in the king, must trust in the king. Let me ask you a simple question. Do you trust the government to do the right thing? You know, I don't whatever side of the aisle you might be on, your answer is probably, no, nah, I don't exactly trust the government to do the right thing. If your life and the lives of your loved one were based on the policy decisions made by our government right now, would you feel secure? Yep, I'm going to be set because our government is going to make the right decision. Do you trust the government is your faith in the government. Well, obviously the transition here, do you trust Jesus to do the right thing? Do you think Jesus, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, Jesus, who is seated on the throne at the right hand of the father who has dominion. Do you believe Jesus will make the right call that Jesus will do the right thing? Do you trust him to give good direction and good teaching? Do you trust him to take care of your soul? Do you trust? Do you have your faith in Jesus? This is the most important thing is to have faith in Jesus, to trust in the Lord. John chapter six, Jesus says it in a pretty straightforward and, and uh, helpful way. John 6, 28 and 29 people there, they, they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? It's a fantastic question that so many people have asked throughout the centuries. How can I do the works God requires? How can I make sure I'm doing the right thing so I don't mess up and uh, get on the wrong side with God? And this is Jesus' very simple answer. Verse 29, Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So Jesus is basically just flat out saying, look, here's the most important thing. You need to trust me. You need to believe in me. I've got some things I'm going to say. I've got some things I'm going to do. And you may not understand the whole time, but trust me, believe in me. The most important thing is believing in, trusting in Jesus. And part of that is giving our allegiance to Jesus. You know, if you believe in a particular political party and you vote, you're going to vote for that political party, you know, or that political candidate. You're going to vote for them because you believe in them. You're going to give your allegiance to them. And it's the same way in the kingdom of God. We believe in Jesus. We believe in the one that the father has sent, the Lord Jesus Christ. We trust in him and we show our allegiance to him. We go with him. 
That's how that works. And the kingdom of God, you know, it's, it's a voluntary kingdom. You can be part of the kingdom of God if you want to, but you don't have to be. It's an interesting kingdom in that it exists inside of all the different nations around the world, you know, but it's a voluntary kingdom. You can belong to the kingdom of God if you want to. However, if you want to belong to this kingdom, then you must put your faith in Jesus. You must put your faith in the king. If you want to be part of the kingdom of God, you want to be part of that, then you've got to put your faith in the king that is in Jesus. Put your faith, put your trust in Jesus. And this kingdom, it's an interesting one because it's both very exclusive and very inclusive at the same time. Now, why do I say the kingdom of God is very exclusive? Because anyone who has any sin cannot be part of the kingdom of God because the kingdom of God is a glorious kingdom that is intended to be eternal and perfect where there's no pain, no hurting, no sin or darkness of any kind. So anybody who's going to bring that sin or darkness into God's eternal kingdom has to be eliminated. So the wages of sin is death. This is an incredibly exclusive kingdom. However, it's also a very incredibly inclusive kingdom because Jesus, this king, has died on the cross to pay the price. The wages of sin is death. So Jesus has paid the price that our sin has brought upon us so that we could be forgiven, not just forgiven, but redeemed and then brought into his kingdom, even though we were disqualified by our actions. So it is both incredibly exclusive in that no one qualifies, but then incredibly inclusive in that Jesus has paid the price. So whoever wants to be included can be included. And that's the plan of redemption and John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Incredibly exclusive, but incredibly inclusive. We've all fallen short of the glory of God, but we all can receive mercy, forgiveness, the redemption that comes through Christ. So this is all part of putting our faith in Jesus, really, truly trusting in him. And I want to just keep talking about this, but I'm, I'm going to move forward in just a second. But sometimes you say something enough times it loses its meaning. Yeah, I believe in Jesus. Yeah, I got, got my faith in God. You know, I, I trust in God. I, it doesn't sink in. People don't really understand what they're saying. Man, oh man, I want you to know you got to trust. You got to put your faith in Jesus, not politics, not how much money you make, not your abilities and skills, but to really put your faith in, put your trust in Jesus. He's the king. So if you want to be part of this kingdom of God, step one is trusting the king, putting your faith in the king, not your faith in the local church. That's okay. We'll get to that later, but your faith in Jesus. The second thing is to learn the ways of the kingdom and to live by them. You know, you've probably heard the old saying, when in Rome, do as the Romans do. Not sure that I would necessarily want to grab onto a saying like that. I think when in Rome, follow Jesus. But the reality is, is that the kingdom of God has a certain way about it. There's a way we need to live. There's a way we need to see the world. We need to learn the ways of the kingdom of God and live by those ways. Every kingdom has a culture and rules that they live by. And it's the same with the kingdom of God. A lot of this boils down to whether or not you trust Jesus. 
Because if you don't trust the leaders, you're going to want to rebel. But if you trust the leaders, you're going to want to obey. You're going to want to do what they say. If you don't trust the government, you're going to want to go a different direction. If you do trust the government, you're going to want to comply with what they have to say. You know, if you trust Jesus, then you're going to want to walk in the ways of the kingdom of God. It's really pretty simple. John chapter 14. Man, this one, this chapter has really got... Some just straightforward smack you in the forehead stuff that is just absolutely blunt and awesome. So John 14, 23 and 24, this is inside of a larger dialogue, but we'll read these couple verses. Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the father who sent me. So he says, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. Now, I don't think this is, uh, you know, this isn't puppy love. This isn't that kind of love. This is along the lines of, yeah, I believe in, I trust in, I love what Jesus has to say. I love what Jesus has been teaching, man. It is right on. So if you love Jesus, of course, you're going to do what he says you're going to naturally fall in line with what Jesus tells you to do. So if you love Jesus, you will do what he says. So this is basically talking about living by the spirit. Now, one of the things that's messed people up with this is, you know, there's, there's different kinds of laws. You know, if we're talking about the rules of the kingdom, you know, that could be the laws, you know, there's civic laws here in America. We have certain civic laws that we follow, but then there's also a moral law. Something might be legal, but we consider it immoral. So we still don't want to do that. There's also religious law there's all these different things and they can all get confusing and conflated and turn into this big, crazy mess. And Essentially, what it boils down to when we're trying to learn the ways of God is walking in step with the Spirit of God. It's not about following these laws, though, of course, the Spirit of God is going to be moral, is going to fit into these things unless there's a specific conflict. You know, sometimes we're called to civil disobedience. If the government was to tell me, you can no longer tell people that Jesus is Lord and you have to renounce your faith in Christ, well, I would not do that. But if they tell me other things, you know, like drive this speed in, in this area, all right, well, I'll pay attention to that, you know, <laughs> uh, th- th- because there's no conflict with my religious convictions. But let's look at Romans 8, 5 through 9, and try to get a sense of how we live by the Spirit, how we learn the ways of the kingdom and live by them. So verses 5 through 9. Those who live according to the flesh have their mind set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the spirit have their mind set on what the spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, are in the realm of the spirit If indeed the spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. I know that's not just a list of things to do. It's not just simple like the Ten Commandments, but we need to be in line with the spirit of God. Spirit of God is going to be in line with the Ten Commandments, and we walk in step with the spirit of God then that's how we learn the ways of the kingdom of God and live by them. And again, this is natural. If you love Jesus, you love what he's about. 
you're going to jump on that. If you rebel against what Jesus has to say, then that's a serious problem. Third responsibility that uh, subjects of the kingdom of God have is to do your part to help the kingdom of God grow. One of the great values of the kingdom of God is helping other people become part of it. Jesus died on the cross, not so that we would ignore people and, you know, hide out by ourselves, enjoy Jesus, but that we would help other people find Jesus and have everlasting life and grab hold of these good things of God. Just like in politics, if somebody is very fervent in what they believe, they're going to share it with other people and they're going to try to get other people on board. Well, I believe in Jesus. I believe God is real, that Jesus did die on the cross for your sins and for mine and for anyone out there. And that everlasting life is there for the taking and abundant life is there to participate in now as well. And so let's try to help people find that. Just seems pretty straightforward forward again. But let's go to Luke 15, three through seven. And this is Jesus telling a parable, the parable of the lost sheep. And it really shows the heart. Part of the responsibility we have to the kingdom of God is to try to help it grow, include new people. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, He joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. So here, you know, Jesus is saying if there's somebody that's wandered off the path, there's somebody who, you know, they're not doing right in their life and they're hurting people and then they get rescued from that and brought to God or brought back to God, depending on their situation, that there's, there is a party in heaven and our heart needs to share that to just believe that, man, that is so good to bring people into a relationship with God where they can be redeemed, you know, and forgiven and have everlasting life and be taught the good ways of God. And, you know, like, It's just so good. It'll naturally come to us since we trust Jesus and we're walking in his ways. These things are naturally going to happen. Again, these three ways that I've said, three responsibilities that the subjects of the kingdom have to the kingdom of God. Number one, to put your faith in the king. Number two, learn the ways of the kingdom and live by them. Number three, do your part to help the kingdom of God grow. This is very similar to our Good Hope Church vision statement, reach up, rise up, reach out, you know, connect with God, grow in your faith, make a difference in this world. Because in doing this study, I've realized, I I see things from the eyes of the kingdom of God. I think the local church is nice. It's a tool. But if God brings revival through another church, hallelujah, I don't care. It's not about me and Good Hope Church. It's about the kingdom of God. It's about helping people come to faith and get saved and learn the ways of God, get free in their life, grab hold of abundant life and make a difference for somebody else, help them have the same thing. And that's what it's about. So that's why Reach Up, Rise Up, Reach Out fits in with this kingdom idea. The local church is a tool that God uses to help people put their faith in him, learn his ways and advance the kingdom, help the kingdom of God grow. So we must never let the church overshadow the kingdom of God. The local church must be subservient to the kingdom of God. It is just a tool in God's hand to do his kingdom purposes. But if we see the church as the end all thing, then we can run into those things and treat it like a business that's selling goods or services or, you know, any of those sorts of misconceptions. We don't want to do that. The church is a tool.
for God to use. Let's finish out by talking about something really interesting, a great benefit of being part of the kingdom of God. Now, the kingdom of God has a royal family. That's pretty normal for kingdoms to have a royal family. And there is God, the father, the exalted one. There is Jesus, the son of God, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Trinity. This is God, the the royal family. And then there are the subjects of the kingdom. But the thing that's different about the kingdom of God is that the subjects of the kingdom are also part of the royal family and share in the same inheritance. Now, for most royal families, they have all the good stuff and all the people are left out. But in the kingdom of God, we are part of the royal family. I'm going to go back to Romans chapter 8, and we're going to see this principle Brought out verses 15 through 17 says this, the spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him, we cry, Abba, father, the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share In his glory, heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ. Of course, we need to be about kingdom business. We need to do those responsibilities that we talked about. But of course, that will just come naturally if we love God. That will just come naturally if we have true faith in God. Those things will come naturally. God is good. We can trust in him, walk in the spirit, do our part to advance the kingdom. We are co-heirs with Christ. Brothers and sisters, co-heirs with Christ. It's an incredible, incredible blessing. You know, if you've been putting off watching the football game, you've been listening to this and you want to start a relationship with Jesus, uh, we're going to pray here in just a second. But I also, I want to offer my help. Just shoot me an email, pastormike at goodhope.ag and we'll be able to communicate. If you have any questions, you can ask me. i Ask all kinds of questions. Maybe I can help you. I believe that God loves you. He's got forgiveness and redemption for you. And he's got a plan for you. So let's pray. Let's trust God with this. If you're a believer, let's put the kingdom of God first. Let's put our faith in Jesus, true faith, not just something you're saying. Let's learn his ways and let's do what we can to advance the kingdom. So pray with me if you would. Heavenly Father, you are so good. Lord, for those who don't know you, but who want to be part of this kingdom. Lord, have them pray with me. Lord Jesus, I ask you to forgive me of my sins, Lord, that I may be part of your kingdom. And Lord, I pledge my life to you, my allegiance to you. And I pray, Lord, that you would guide me through this life and guide me to everlasting life. Hallelujah. Now, I believe if you prayed that, if you meant that, that you've started your journey with Jesus. Now let's keep praying. And Lord, for all of us, help us to see your kingdom, see your kingdom purpose, have our faith in you, learn your ways because we trust you and do our part to advance your kingdom. Lord, help us to see that and not just the local church as the ultimate goal, but Lord, your kingdom is the ultimate goal and the church is a tool and we serve in parts of the church and of course, in other parts of your kingdom. So father, encourage us in that help us to know that our service to you is not in vain, but that everything we do for your kingdom makes a difference because your word says so. 
So Father, bless us in that. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.